Thank you very much, Miriam, and thank you to everyone for coming to this panel. What I want to talk about is absolutely work in progress. And it's something that I'm, and other people I'm working with on this are actively looking for feedback on. So in a way, what I am going to present is going to be controversial, provocative, and represent work in progress. And I want your comments and opinions. It stems from a recognition that, put simply, humanitarian innovation throws up significant ethical issues. And yet, on the other hand, we lack recognized principles or standards for thinking through those ethical problems and applying them to this emerging area of humanitarian innovation. And that is potentially very problematic. It's potentially very problematic for affected communities, and it's potentially very problematic for the reputation of the entire humanitarian endeavor and the idea of humanitarian innovation. It would just take one disastrous ethical problem that came from a partnership or a new technology, and suddenly the endeavor of humanitarian innovation is irreparably compromised. And the nearest thing I think we've had to a system-wide set of principles has been something the UN Innovation Network conceived, which was principles on humanitarian innovation. But most of those principles so far have been about innovation management rather than subjected to ethical scrutiny or really principles for ethical innovation. So in response to that, and as part of the World Humanitarian Summit thematic strand on transformation through innovation, we've tried to develop a first draft, a working document, a sort of living document that could think about principles for ethical humanitarian innovation. And to do that, we began with by looking at what already exists, um, we brought together a workshop in Oxford with a range of international organizations, experts from medical ethics, business eth ethics, humanitarian practice, humanitarian ethics, to try to draft a set of principles that will be, if you like, World Humanitarian Summit, Principles for Ethical Humanitarian Innovation. And what I'm going to present today is a little bit of the process behind that and um, the principles themselves in draft form in order to get your feedback. So I'll say something about the background, the methodology we've used for the principles, the draft principles themselves, and I'm going to highlight as I go through them some of the particular questions and challenges we've got that we're grappling with in areas where we're already getting feedback um, so as not to reiterate conversations we've already had. Simply put, this is an area that combines three concepts, all of which are challenging definitionally, but just for the purposes of the conversation. Humanitarianism really is about assisting vulnerable populations in conflict and crisis. Ethics relates to moral principles that should govern behavior, and innovation can be thought of as a process of adaptation to context. It's worth noting we can have endless debates around those definitions, but those are sort of the sort of working assumptions at the starting point. Why do we need ethics and principles in this sector? Well, I think there are a series of obvious reasons. The first is that it involves the entry of new products and new processes, some of which may be highly technical, technological, and introduce a set of challenges. Secondly, we've got the entry of non-humanitarian actors that come from innovation, uh, including businesses and the military. We also, in going through the innovation cycle, have a potential role for research and even experimentation. And we want to avoid a scenario in which crisis-affected communities become guinea pigs for the development of technologies and ideas. There are also challenges of representation and participation. Whose ideas should count? On what basis? Whose problems are we talking about? Whose solutions are we talking about? And indeed, in innovation, a lot of innovation begins with ideas that may ultimately be someone else's. Maybe the ideas of affected communities that 
their resilience strategies are based upon. And so there are real challenges of intellectual property and the equitable sharing of benefits. And just to give you a brief example um, of where something like this arises, there was a partnership that was very short-lived that took place in the Dadaab refugee camps where the San Francisco-based company Samosource that does uh, data entry, micro work, increased contracts with companies in Silicon Valley like LinkedIn, Facebook, and outsources that to impoverished communities around the world to provide micro work, tried to pilot that for refugee communities. And in a way, it was a really great, inspiring idea to do it in the Dadaab refugee camps with Care International. The pilot broke down and was abandoned after a certain period. And it was in part because refugees complained of being paid at a much lower level and complained of exploitation. Now part of the reason for that doesn't reside with the company. It resides with the regulatory framework of Kenya that meant they couldn't be paid as refugees on the same level as nationals. But it was an example of a partnership and an area where really ethical guidance would, would have been helpful and would be helpful to all of the, the actors involved. And I don't want this to seem a sort of a sort of naysaying sceptical position within the innovation debate. I think my starting point is innovation is important, has positive ethical implications. We shouldn't set up barriers and obstacles to it, but equally we need to consider that there are ethical implications. So what's the methodology we've developed? Well, we started with, at stage one, um, a set of draft principles uh, based on our experiences. We've secondly tried to refine those principles based on a process of ethical reasoning, drawing upon people, academics who know about medical ethics, business ethics, humanitarian ethics, and engage practitioners with that expertise to see what comes out. And thirdly, to develop a living document. And in a way, we're at third, the third stage. What I've just distributed to you is the first draft of that living document. What we're looking for is feedback before that would be unveiled at the World Humanitarian Summit. The idea is not that that would become fixed, static or rigid. It's taken literally thousands of years for the Hippocratic Oath as the sort of guiding principles of the medical sector to be fully interpreted, uh, developed in all its implications. So we're looking at this as an organic living document that could adapt through dialogue, learning and experience over time. The main starting point for this was the workshop in Oxford which engaged practitioners and academics and out of this we have the draft principles. Subsequently we want to develop an online platform so that it can evolve over time uh, and a network to work on it and refine the product that will come partly from the group of actors uh, that included ICRC, UNHCR, UNICEF, OCHA, government actors like DFID, NGOs like Save the Children who were part of that initial workshop process. Some of the key sources we began with, um, medical ethics was a significant starting point and Miriam Orkert who was present at the workshop has been a great source of information on the medical ethics side uh, working on developing these principles. Medical ethics is, is based generally around four sets of ideas, respect for the autonomy of the individual, beneficence, conferring in the case of um, medicine, health on populations, non-maleficence based around the core idea of avoiding intentional harm and mitigating unintentional harm and justice to do with the distribution of costs, benefits and risks. Secondary, it's obviously important in this area is recognising humanitarian principles. Uh, humanitarianism is guided by these principles and they shouldn't be forgotten in their implications for innovation. But equally, ethics for humanitarianism 
is not analytically the same thing as ethics for humanitarian innovation. Humanitarian innovation throws up different sets of ethical challenges, which means we need to reflect on how those principles play out. And of course, research ethics become important because a lot of this is about process of learning, information management, and the context in which we can experiment for, on behalf of, or with uh, vulnerable populations. To come to the actual document, the preamble is really trying to set out for you the scope and purpose of the document. And it highlights that really the core premise is innovation can play a transformative role. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, we just want a framework within which it can take place in the most ethical and principled way so that it's a level playing field and we set standards for actors. Equally we highlight that this involves a range of ethical questions and dilemmas. Of primary concern for us are vulnerable populations and the risks to them. Humanitarian innovation involves new actors, increasingly complex products and processes, and experimentation. We recognize that there are UN innovation network principles, but that they relate more to innovation management. Crucially, this document is not the solution to all ethical dilemmas. It's designed to be high-level principles intended to guide the subsequent development of operational guidelines. So in no way are these principles the answer to every dilemma. That are intended to guide principle, to be interpreted, to be turned into operational guidelines by different organisations, and to be applied over time. These are the high-level principles and standards, and they've been drafted with reference to analogous practice in other areas, particularly medical ethics. What are principles? To take Hugo Slim's definition in his book on ethics and humanitarianism, principles are propositions that govern a system of belief or behaviour. They serve as guides to being and doing, and they may be absolute, obligatory, or simply aspirational. The way we've conceived this is towards the aspirational end, not that they are absolute, robust diktats for humanitarians or other actors in the sector, but they are guides to behaviour. They're principles on which we can hook our applied moral and practical reasoning. So the statements of value for the sector they're intended to evolve over time, and as with all principles and codes of conduct, it's envisaged that a complementary governance structure might emerge, such as ethical review boards, and this doesn't speak to that governance structure, but it might entail a subsequent governance framework. So just to give you an idea of what the principles are um, within the document and some of the challenges around them, principle one is about humanitarian purpose. If we're to speak about humanitarian innovation, it implies that it is humanitarian, that it is for humanitarian purpose. Now that means that humanitarian innovation should be presumably consistent with humanitarian principles of humanity, impartiality, neutrality and independence, and the dignity principle. But if we think about what that means with innovation, it has very far-reaching implications. Because it means when we come to think about impartiality, that everybody should have the possibility to benefit from that innovation. If it's only benefiting certain groups within a population, it wouldn't fit this criteria. It would have partial distributed benefits for certain groups rather than others. That poses a number of challenges because it creates issues of scale. Some innovations, by definition, target subgroups of a community. How does that mesh with impartiality? Technology can obviously sometimes be exclusive. It can have distributive effects within communities. Equally, I think there's a question of many of the ideas that emerge in humanitarian innovation were not originally conceived with humanitarian purpose. They have spin-offs for the humanitarian sector. But what does that mean for how they mesh again with impartiality? So 
It's a core idea that makes humanitarian innovation humanitarian, but what does it really mean in terms of, of application and impartiality being a core idea? The second principle that comes right out of medical ethics is the idea of primary relationship. And for us, the primary relationship of concern for humanitarian innovation must be the provider-recipient relationship. And the principle there is the idea that we need to have identification and avoidance of any conflicts of interest, as well as consideration of third-party beneficence that compromises the primary loyalty. The key idea there that comes from medical ethics is based on the doctor-patient relationship, that the primary loyalty of the doctor is to the patient. It shouldn't be to the pharmaceutical companies, it shouldn't be to the government in the background, it should be to the patient. It's not a perfect analogy. Humanitarianism is more complex than a provider-recipient relationship. But I think as a principle it highlights that if we're to do humanitarian innovation, any multi-stakeholder obligations that we have, say to our shareholders as private sector actors, or to our boards, shouldn't compromise or undermine or significantly trade off against the welfare of the crisis-affected community. So it's a statement of the fact that if we are to innovate in a humanitarian context, we need to be clear about those loyalties and ensure there's no third-party beneficence that trade-offs, trades off against and compromises that idea. The third principle is one of autonomy. Again, drawing directly on medical ethics, the principle is that all humanitarian innovation must be conducted with the aim of promoting the rights, dignity and capabilities of the recipient population. This idea is the notion that innovation must be based on representative consultation and informed consent. It should be user-driven and based on participatory methods. In other words, we can't just impose our innovations on other populations. There need to be participatory ways of engaging those communities. There needs to be no innovation, in a sense, without representation. Now, of course, that in turn also throws up a number of challenges analytically. Sometimes there may be limited agency of populations. In emergency settings, we have the challenge of getting informed consent. There are power relations within communities. Who can speak on behalf of whom? Particularly when we bear in mind that those power dynamics are often related to gender. But equally, there are analogies from, say, medical ethics, where sometimes patients are not able to provide informed consent and practice we can draw upon. The fourth principle is the idea of non-maleficence. Put simply, it's the idea that innovation must be based on a do-no-harm principle. Under no circumstances should humanitarian innovation lead to unintentional harm. To, sorry, to intentional harm. That's obviously fairly uncontroversial. The more challenging aspect is the idea that risk analysis and mitigation must be used to prevent unintentional harm. How much unintentional harm is tolerated or should be tolerated with humanitarian innovation? And what levels of risk mitigation um, are ethically necessary without compromising some of the benefits that come from innovation? Fifthly, experimentation. The principle is that experimentation, piloting and trials must be undertaken in conformity with internationally recognised ethical standards. We have a lot of standards in this area. Um, all innovation activities must be conducted in full conformity with the Declaration of Helsinki of 1964 and the Nuremberg Code of 1947. It must also be based on full institutional review board assessments. Now at their core, the Nuremberg Code and Declaration of Helsinki provide minimum levels of ensuring that we don't engage in experimentation on populations justified by the benefit of the greater good. And the legacy of that is one that comes from the experience of the Holocaust. 
Where this becomes slightly more challenging is when we get to the idea of institutional review boards that exist in universities and academia. Now I suppose the question is, what's the threshold level by which we would judge something to be experimentation? What's the basis on which we would say that even early stage innovation should be subjected to ethical scrutiny and reviewed to say it has to go through ethical review board standards to be judged to be ethical? The sixth principle is the idea of justice. That within humanitarian innovation, because innovation has distributive consequences, equity and fairness should underpin the distribution of benefits, costs, and risks resulting from innovation. So to flesh that out, humanitarian innovation projects should take into consideration and address the distributive consequences of innovation. That poses a number of challenges for us to think through. How do we think of and conceive redistribution of those benefits so that the affected communities that have participated in creating new products, processes and ideas ultimately benefit from those ideas rather than those benefits just leaving the community and going outside that community. It's equally challenging in certain areas though. Um, intellectual property is part of this debate. Who owns the creations that come out of affected communities? Who therefore has the right to benefit from what emerges? Um, the final principle, principle seven, is one of accountability. And it stems from the obligation to ensure accountability to recipient populations, including establishing a process for complaint and recourse. This involves suggesting that we should take account of the wider effects on the humanitarian system, not only on the individuals, but the system at large. It suggests that innovation should be subjected to evaluation and monitoring, ethical review and risk analysis. And at the moment we have none of these things in the humanitarian innovation space. People are able to create and pilot ideas, but if they go wrong, who's accountable to whom and on what basis? I'm not suggesting we need an overarching governance structure, but that organisations and actors that engage in these processes set up their own structures of accountability and plan evaluation and monitoring at the outset. So in conclusion, you've got access to these principles. They're a work in progress. They're intended to ultimately be world humanitarian principles for ethical innovation. The entire process is one that's based, as with the World Humanitarian Summit, on consultation. We've had the initial workshop in Oxford, a webinar that involved around 300 people, and this is the first time we've presented them more publicly, and I'd welcome your feedback not only today, but once you've had a chance to digest them, feel free to get in touch, and I'd welcome any comments or critiques. Thank you.